Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Waima. Today I am with Andrea Bizzotto. He is a content creator for Flutter and Dart, and he recently released a new course called Flutter Foundations. And so we brought him on here to talk about his new course and also about the other upcoming courses he has. Uh, why don't you go ahead and maybe introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks so much for having me, Alan. It, it's always good to be part of these public things for the community. And I should probably do more of this myself, but it, it just gives me the occasion to actually do it for the people uh, with this kind of episodes. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like, like Alan said, I'm, I'm a content creator. Uh, I've been working with Flutter for about four years now. Um, before really getting into content, uh, I was a software consultant for quite a few years doing a lot of freelance work. Um, and I think I just hit a point in my life where I just enjoyed starting to kind of share the things that I was learning. And there's always many different ways of doing this. So when I started, I was kind of experimenting a bit with like YouTube, uh, writing articles and all of that. And, and that kind of seems to have been striking a note. At least some people did seem to enjoy the content that I was putting out and that just inspired me to do, to do more of it. Yeah, I mean, I love your I love that your courses uh, go through a couple of topics that I, I always have problems with, right? So for me, I do my best to stay away from animations just because I find it difficult. Uh, I bought your course, I started going through it, and then it's on my other laptop, and I haven't opened up the laptop in a while. So it's <laughs> it's it's it started. Uh, I think I went through like the first lesson, which was like implicit animations, where you just put in a couple of widgets and you can get nice looking animations, and that was like, wow, actually, this is not too bad, right? And then uh, I know you're going to go more in depth in the course. So I'm looking forward to actually finishing that course. And then with your new course, uh, I love the idea that you go from like, you know, I think it's like also from beginner to production, right? Um, yeah. So I think the idea for this new course that I've been working on um, came from, I guess, some of my past experience. Like um, I've been, like I said, I was freelancing for quite a long time. I've worked with many different clients and I know what it's like when you work at companies, like sometimes people cut corners, there isn't really as much time as you would like uh, that is spent into making the code nice and, and, and actually making the right investment in making the code good so that it's easier to work with, with it in the future. And, and one thing that always struck me with Flutter is like how easy it is to to quickly just whip up a UI, like do the navigation bit, like getting a lot of screens and pixels moving in your app. Um, so on one side, I found it, it's always been quite powerful the way that you can do that with Flutter. Uh, but I think you can only go so far in, in making applications of a certain complexity without paying attention to the other things that matter in application development. So maybe the UI is, is easy, but if you're not careful, you can end up like not architecting your code very well. You, you can end up with a lot of situations where you have technical depth. Maybe you don't know about best practices. Maybe there are a lot of things that, that you don't consider either because you don't know them or because you know them, but you cut corners. And, and I've seen this play out over and over with different clients and different companies. And I thought that surely there is, um, I think, I think there is a bit of a need in, in the community and not just with Flutter, just software development in general, in trying to help people getting more out of 
what what they can do with development and and not having to to fight too much because they make uh, kind of those mistakes and, and and really not pay attention to things that matter. And so I thought maybe I should actually try to to kind of reconsider the whole thing, try to see if I can write a production ready app myself, uh, which is fully functional and and and. I guess kind of pay attention to a lot of the things that I think should matter for a production ready app. And then I've also can run a few surveys with, with some of my uh, subscribers as well, just to get an idea about what would be most interesting with them. Uh, and so I landed with this idea of, of creating an e-commerce application, which is, I, I guess, a good example of something that is a full stack application. So it's not just a simple client, you need to have some backend. And you need to integrate with like third-party services. Uh, so if you process payments, for example, you could use Stripe. Uh, if you need to have certain capabilities for indexing your data on the database and you want to do things like full text search, maybe you need to integrate with services like Algolia. So it's, it's not just Flutter development. Uh, there are multiple parts to it. And, and so for someone who, who wanted to get an idea about the whole scope of application development uh, on the back end as well, I thought that would be a good project. And so I just set some time to just not just build the app, but build it to a good level and add all the testing stuff, like adding different types of tests, uh, just trying to make sure that I was really happy with the code. Uh, I didn't want it. I didn't want to make it too complex, obviously, because if you talk about e-commerce, it, it could be as complex as you want. So I guess the goal for me was not to build eBay or Amazon, but at least have you know the set of core features that you would expect to find in an e-commerce application, and then take that and say, okay, what is the best way of kind of building this kind of project, and and just trying to uh, obviously go past the UI level and and just what what are ways that you can architect it, what are some patterns that you can use, uh, how should you approach uh, application, sorry, um, app architecture, how should you structure your project, um, what, obviously, when, when you build something complex, there are some packages that you need to choose as well. So what considerations can you do around state management? Uh, same goes for navigation, there are so many packages, like what, what is a good approach there? And, and what are the trade-offs as well? Can you actually, you know, maybe make a choice of, of choosing a certain state management package, but still kind of have an overall architecture that allows you to change that later if you want. And I think those are all considerations that are quite, quite important when you want to build a product and have it running for a few years at a company uh, because technologies change, packages change. Uh, and so it's, I guess it's good to, to be able to have a good understanding of the product and then try to, to build an application around it and, and still have it have a scope for, for changing things later if you want. And so, yeah, I just spent quite a bit of time building out this prototype until it was kind of done to a level that, that I was happy with. And then I traced back and I said, okay, if I had to teach this, what is the right order? Like in which order I should, should I approach all these different topics? So how can I make a kind of comprehensive course about it that follows a certain structure and how can I, I guess, teach people about all the hard bits as well that I encountered while making it. And so that's how we came to be. And eventually I went from this is one course to actually this is a big project. It's probably going to be three separate courses. And, and that's kind of how I approached it and, and just 
recently this week I, I, I finally launched the first course, which is not complete yet, but the pre-sale is out. So it's available for people to buy if they want to. And um, yeah, I've, I've had some very good engagement so far. I have a Slack community that I run around the course and that's all being so far quite good. So I'm hoping, you know, the, the goal that I, I set for myself in terms of creating a production ready up and, and kind of following, I guess, trying to do it the right way is also something that I can get across to others so that they can potentially avoid some mistakes and, and just try to, to do things the right way. Yeah, but I mean, with Flutter, right, there's no, in my opinion, there's kind of like no real right way necessarily at certain times because there's different kinds of patterns, right? I mean, the right way is just, does it work, right? Is it sufficient enough? And and do you think that you, I mean, how, how do you kind of come up with what do you think is the right way? Yeah, I think maybe maybe right way is not the best way of describing it. Uh, I guess if you describe it in terms of what you want out of it, then you, you can quantify things like, I want my code to be testable. I want it to be maintainable. I don't want to have business logic and UI mixed up together. Uh, so you, you can, I guess, define a set of maybe non-functional requirements that you want from your, for, from your application. And then you can ask yourself, how can I meet those requirements? And yes, it's definitely true that you can even use different packages for accomplishing some of these things. but there are some things around code structure, around conventions, around design patterns, and like all those things that if you get them right, you're going to have a lot easier ride. Uh, and I guess, yeah, the other thing that, that I think things probably people struggle a bit with this is if you build something simple, maybe these things don't even matter so much, uh, but every project starts simple and then gets complicated. So you don't want to get to a, to a place where what you have works for simple things. And then the more features you add, the more, the more you feel like there is friction and it's hard to, to kind of, it becomes harder and harder to, to add new features because the project is not structured very well and you don't have the right things in place in terms of, you know, how the data flows, uh, across the widget tree, like all those things. If you don't design for it upfront, then it's harder to do later. Um, and, and, and at the same time, there's also a balance. Like sometimes the requirements are not known for the, from the start. Um, so how can you be flexible around ever-changing requirements? And like, how can you think about that? And so what I wanted to do in the course was, I mean, I had to start from somewhere. So my idea there was, I'm just going to, to have like a starter project, which is the entire UI. Uh, without any state management, uh, without any backend, uh, without pretty much any other third-party packages, just the UI flows uh, and a lot of the actions and buttons that you can click on the UI don't do anything. They just give you an alert. And then going through the course, then I introduce all these different topics such as like navigation and state management and testing and all of that. And so starting from the UI, how do you make the application actually do what it's supposed to do? Um, and so, yeah, that is the approach that I've taken. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's it kind of, the emphasis really is, is on, on the application development side of things more than the UI. And, and I think that's probably the, the bit where a lot of people are a bit struggling with. Really, you think that people are more struggling with the actual 
I guess we, normally I'd call that business logic, right? The stuff, the actual logic of your application than it is the UI you're saying? Well, I guess, um, I mean, b business logic, it's, it's one of those terms that can mean a lot of things. Uh, and, and I guess what I mean is, um, if you think of your application as the types of things that your application generally needs to do is you have the UI, which is just what, what the user sees on the screen. And then of course you have, yeah, you have all your data models, uh, you have, yeah, the business logic for manipulating those, but you also have infrastructure. So you, you have, um, connections to external services, uh, where, whether you use Firebase or a custom backend, you're going to have to have some code for pulling data from, from a backend and writing it back in. And so when you kind of look at the whole of it, you have business logic, you have models and entities, you have a data layer. You are talking to external services. How do you do error handling? How do you, it's not even just about separating UI and business logic. You, you, the deeper you get into it, the deeper, the, I think you realize that you had to separate UI from business logic, from infrastructure, from services, and, and just try to have clear, I guess, clear components with clear boundaries. Um, and I think because every application has different requirements, really figuring out how all those things interact with, with each other in, in a very well-defined way, it's a challenge. Uh, it's always a challenge because every application is different, but I think there isn't really a huge amount of guidance around how to do that effectively. Um, and, and that is all stuff that in a way, I think it's kind of beyond the scope of just the UI, isn't it? Well, the other thing too is like, even I'm still struggling with this. Like I spend a couple hours just thinking about how I want to organize my code because like, I'm like, well, because I needed to basically um, stub out something that was going to talk to S3 API. And I was like, well, should this be stub? Like, do I stub like, just do I take, take out the S3 API, put that to a separate class and then stub those methods? Or should I stub just the uploading part? Or, yep. you know, like I was like, so like, I, I, I just end up just going with what I did last time for last project, even though I'm like, I'm not quite sure if that's the right way, because like inside of that function, I'm also doing other things too, besides just talking to the S3 API. So I'm kind of like formatting things and generating like a UID. So I have a separate, you know, like upload name. that's very unique. And so I'm like, well, where should my boundaries be and what should I be testing for? And I've been developing for about 10 years or so. I'm still struggling with this at times. Most times I'm pretty clear, but for this time I was surprised about how stuck I was and I'm still not quite sure if I chose the correct thing. But what I do know is that as a developer, I know my code will change and I know that I'm happy and I'm also able to make a change if I feel like I need to do the change, right? So I think that's another important piece is not only will you, you'll get better at knowing when you should split things up, but you're also going to get, you also need to understand that you can still make mistakes or you can still make changes in the future so these things are not set in stone right yeah absolutely and, and i guess one of the biggest tests for for any code base is if you leave it there and two years back you come back to it and, and you have to start doing development again how how easy are you going to find it to get back to it and so and and in a two years time span a lot of things change like if you even the packages alone it would take you probably a good amount of time to, to update everything but, and then, yeah, I guess the other thing that I really thought about, and in fact, when, when I started the project, I kind of, I mean, 
I'm basically doing everything myself. I don't really need to coordinate with other people. So I, I tried to go fairly fast and, and kind of build out the whole thing. And I started from the UI because that, that was the easiest one for me to visualize. And then I kind of got to the end of it. It was working. And then I'm like, the, the way I've actually organized the project is not ideal because like, I, I wanted to get to a point in, in time where if I had a new feature, I have a new folder. Inside that folder, I know exactly how, it, how things are going to be structured. I know exactly what layers will be for that will exist for that feature in terms of data, business logic, models, and UI. And like, I, I didn't kind of think about the whole project structure from the beginning. And then I kind of turned it around in the end. And I was like, OK, now I need to refactor this. And that kind of gave me the insight about how do you make it so that you can add new features with a repeatable process that is clear, like you can come back to it and, and you want to add a new feature. Do you know exactly what parts of the project you want to change to do that? And likewise, can you go back to existing ones and, and modify them and know exactly what you need to do? And, and I think I, I, did, I did learn quite a lot from, from that myself in terms of what is a way that I think is scalable, that you can keep adding things without it crashing under its own weight. Uh, and yeah, I think it, it was a very good learning experience for me. And I, I hope, I guess, I, I hope I can share that to the best of my abilities. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so hard to, to teach some of these things. I mean, I, I know what you're going for. You want to be able to teach like concepts rather than just, yeah. okay, step one, step two, step three. But that's really hard, right? Because I don't know, the, the audience is, what kind of audience are you looking for for this course? Like if, if I were to consider to buy this course, is it that I'm brand new to Flutter? Is it I'm intermediate? Is I'm already an expert? Like who is the audience for? So I'm kind of targeting intermediate to advanced, but those are in a way also words that are quite blurry because, you know, what means advanced to someone means advanced. It, it, it might mean something completely different to someone else. Like. Uh, so I guess maybe a, b a better way to say it is if, if someone is already, first of all, comfortable with the Dart language. So if they already know, if they have a, a good kind of command of the Dart language, they already will know how to work with classes, inheritance, asynchronous programming and all of that. That's a given that that is a prerequisite um, for the course. And then the other things that I thought would be prerequisites are, I guess, knowledge of, you know, the most common widgets and understanding of the widget tree and uh, some, at least familiarity with like, what, what is a build context, what it does in relation to, to your application. And then some knowledge of at least basic state management, uh, some, so I guess I thought if someone is able to build, uh, a Flutter application that is not too complex, but already understands what, what goes into it. How can I then say, okay, now that you know this, how about you try to build a more complex application and what other considerations do you need to make? And, and, and so then the knowledge that I'm trying to get across is I, I've, I've been through the process of building this more complex application. These are all the things that I've learned. Um, and I can see like having built applications over the years, I, I can see which one of these concepts I would probably now take and apply in the same way to the next one. And I can also now see what trade-offs I made that maybe work well for this project and maybe not so much for other ones. Um, 
And so it, like you said, it, it's kind of hard to teach that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it, it's, I guess it's, it's hard to break it down, but I, I, I willingly wanted to, to build the whole project first, break down what at the end of the day, what does it come down to in terms of organization steps, techniques that you use, and then, and then breaking that down and, and finding out like in what order I should teach things. But at the end of the day, I think I'm, I'm getting there now where I can say, these are all the really important things that I learned along the way and like what, what you should get out of it and what trade-offs there are. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy with the way it's, it's come along. Uh, I mean, just this week I, I started enrolling people into the course and I'm sure there will be a lot of interesting feedback for, for me to kind of look into. Uh, but so far it seems to be, to be heading in the right direction. So, yeah. Well, what has the feedback been so far? I mean, it's only been, I think one day, right? Is this released yesterday? No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, it's been one and a half days. Uh, I've added a little feedback form at the end of each chapter. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one for, for the most part, I would say it's quite positive. Uh, obviously, you know, there will be people at different levels taking the course. And so like at the beginning, for example, I say, Hey, this is how we're going to do it. Like you're going to start with this starter project, which already includes the entire application UI. And that for example, already has like 2000 lines of code in it. So then I spend some time going through the most important part of that code base and like explaining the different things. Uh, because what I didn't want to do is, is to really start from scratch and spend like three, four hours just building out the UI. Uh, and I think this is something that people that have already been used Flutter that like for a few months or maybe a year, they will probably be able to find their way around the UI. So what I did was, uh, document it quite well as well, like the whole starter project. And then, and then some people really appreciated that because they also were at that stage where they are comfortable with the UI side of things and they want to get into the things that they struggle with. And some other people did find some parts a bit complicated because it wasn't the intention to, to explain them in full detail. Uh, but for the people that are actually the intended audience for the course, I think the way it is being structured, they, they are finding that it meets like what, what they were wanting to learn. Uh, and so that I'm very pleased with. Oh, okay. That's, that's good. I mean, when you're, when you're creating this course, did you actually have some kind of like beta testers or something that you were saying, Hey, what do you think about this? Or, or were you just really only relying on your own instincts? At the beginning, uh, like I said, at the beginning, basically I went with some surveys, really trying to assess what topics people wanted to learn and, and then try to figure out a good project that would allow because I think, I think the thing that I always want to do is use real world apps as well. Uh, not, I mean, it's, it's good to teach concepts, but you also have to see sometimes how concepts break down in practice and sometimes they don't work when you, when you try to build certain features. So I, I always try to have this balance between building something real and useful and then the techniques that, that go into making that, uh, and it's not just the, the techniques alone. Um, I got a bit off rail here. I forgot what your question was. <laughs> Sorry. My question was like, because you're making this for people, right? Meta testers, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you and I, we've been doing Flutter for, for a couple of years. Yep. I mean, for me, I think about two years or so. 
for you, I think maybe four or five. I don't even know because I don't know. Yeah. I, I forgot how long Flutter's even been around for. I know it's been, I know you've been doing it longer than me. So like, I think you and I are probably a little bit farther ahead in terms of maybe some of your, your target audience, right? So how do you know that you make yeah. proper content without having the proper mindset at the time, right? You know what I'm trying to say? Yes, yes. Uh, I think I've been quite fortunate in that respect because um, I think for the first few months, I, I built out the the whole application myself and then cleaned it up. And then the intention was, yeah, to, to get some people to to have a look at it. And and at the same time, I started running some training sessions um, with, with people. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of people that maybe run their own company or maybe they work for a team, whatever they, they want to get sometimes just a bit of training. And so basically what I did was I, when I started doing those sessions, I, I shared the repository with those people um, because Again, a lot of the things that they were struggling with were things like project structure, app architecture, state management, all of that. Um, and so because I already had the project done and the code base ready to share, I did that. And then the, the idea behind these sessions were, was sometimes people have questions. And so I was guiding them through some solutions and sometimes they, they would show me their code. And sometimes I can see from the code that, you know, some things are missing or some things are maybe not the way I would do them, given like the, some previous experience that I had doing them. And so I can then switch over to this project and walk them through how you can, for example, structure, I don't know, the data layer for a specific feature or how the data flows from the backend into your widgets or how you... Uh, manipulate data and what other things you need to take into account, uh, which often people naturally don't think about simply because they haven't they haven't seen those use cases that many times. And so, in terms of beta testing, it was quite useful to be able to do these sessions and and kind of share the project with people and and talk it through with them as well. And and I got good questions out of it as well, which I then used to refine the content. And also, I had someone who agreed to basically give me detailed feedback. So as I was producing the course, I was sharing all the lessons. And then, yeah, just she, she went back and kind of went through lesson by lesson, breaking down like in terms of this was clear, this was explained well, this you should explain better. Um, so I went to, I guess, through that process of, of refining the content. Uh, and that, that's in a way why it's taking so long to get to this stage even. Like I started in September with this idea of the course and this is where I am now, but I already had some really good feedback in terms of the direction of the course and things that I could improve before even launching. And I think that's, that's helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good to hear. I, I'm glad that you did that because yeah, as you can see, there's lots of value with that. Um, the... I forgot what else I wanted to ask you. It's somewhat related, but I kind of lost my thought. But um, there is some of the people also doing similar courses, right? So you and I both know Robert. Robert's course, I think, is very similar to yours. He doesn't really go over routing, I think. His his is something a little bit different. Or there's, I, I don't remember what he does for routing, but he's not using GoRouter like you're going to be using. Um, like, what would be the difference between Robert's course and yours or even somebody else's course? that you like? What really makes yours so... Uh, different than others that you think that people should take it? Yeah. I mean, I don't, 
it's not necessarily that uh, I mean I I've actually taken Robert's course myself as well and uh, I, I'm good friends with him <laughs> as well so it, it's good I mean I I, I enjoyed it uh, in terms of what what is covered and I think he did a good job you know sometimes it's it's hard to to say I I, I want to take a complex topic uh, and 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 can I make can I actually distill it down to to a not too long course that covers all the things that you need to know. And I think he did a really good job of that. Like his course is probably five hours long, uh, but it, it does cover some of the important things like our architecture and state management and all of that. Uh, and I guess, of course, if you, if, you, if you do that, you also have to set yourself some constraints. So you're not going to build a really complex application. Maybe you build something a bit simpler, uh, but still try to focus on, on the concepts that people can take over and hopefully kind of build bigger things with it. And, and what I did was uh, I wanted to see if I could, I guess, do something a little bit more ambitious. And, and so my goal from the outset was I'm going to do a full stack application. And then so because that will force me to, to consider a lot of things that that I just just wouldn't come into play if I was building something simpler, and and so that that's where I think this is a bit different. Like I, I try to build like a full production app to start with, and then and then take that and, and break that one down into into smaller pieces. And it turns out that yeah, I came up with a lot of things that I learned myself, and it also turns out that it's simply not possible to do a five-hour course on that. Um, and so that's kind of why I broke it down into multiple courses. And, and, and that also means, I think, that some things I, I can cover in, in more detail. And, and I wanted to. Like, I don't want to stop at the point where things get hard or get hard to explain. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to cover them or at least explain them to the best of my abilities. So that, because I think at some point in, in their lifetimes, people will, will struggle with those problems as well. Uh, and if anything, just getting the perspective of, of, or, or at least making people aware of some of these things, it's useful because then they can maybe relate to it when they come back to it later, at a later point. And so, yeah, just because of the fact that it's a bigger project, there are more things that are involved, uh, that I wanted to cover. And so that's kind of, I guess there's more of it, I guess, in total, in, like overall. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, doing a full stack application, I mean, that's, I would say that's definitely different because, I mean, it's hard to do a full stack application because you're going to have to focus some time on the back end, as people call it, right? Yeah. And this course really should be about Flutter. So what, what, you know, like, how do you kind of divide up? Because not everybody's, I'm guessing you're probably using Firebase, right? That's probably the easiest method, I think, to use. Yeah, you know? so, so the way I went about it, like initially I was, I mean, my initial plan was to do just one course and, and you always start with what you think is going to be possible. And then it's only later on uh, that, that you, when you start thinking about all the dependencies and, and, and how you want to teach things that basically got to a point where I said, yes, this would be a full stack application, but there are there is already so much stuff on the Flutter client that that I can cover that that alone is worth to be its own course. So what I decided to do was to say, 
let's build the, the entire client front end uh, without using a real backend. And so that means creating like some fake data sources or repositories, uh, which you have fully full control on. Uh, so if you think of an e-commerce application, for example, you, you, you might be able to do things like you add products to, to your, to your shopping cart. Uh, you may want to go to checkout and, and do all those things. So how can you, I guess, simulate your backend, uh, with like in-memory data stores, um, uh, so that you can build an entire Fatal client that is functional in itself. It just doesn't talk to a real backend. Um, and so I guess taking the backend out of the equation and just adding a little component, I guess a little bit of extra code to simulate the backend, uh, was really worthwhile there because I can then just really focus on the Flutter client and, and still cover all the things that there are a lot of, like all the architecture stuff, all the testing, all the state management. And then I said, okay, so then once the first course is done, the beginning of the second course is people already have a complete Flutter client, uh, and then they need to integrate that with the backend. So then you, you you go back to the data layer, and 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 because you have multiple features as well, this will be split into multiple repositories and and like services and all of that. And then you you think, okay, now how can we design a backend that makes basically is the source of truth for all the data that the app needs to manipulate? And what considerations go into that? And, and, and then in addition to that, uh, how can you then integrate with payment processing? Like basically the one I'm using is like Stripe for processing products. And, and, and that really gets you into the weeds of, of backend development because you then need to start doing cloud functions. You need to talk to external services and all that stuff. And so, yeah, so then the focus there shifts a lot more towards the backend and, and the bit that you do in Flutter is just the integration of, you know, this particular screen already has a repository that it knows how to talk to. And then you just need to swap up the repository with, with the one that talks to the real Firebase backend. And, and that was also by design because it means that, I mean, Firebase is obviously a very common solution. It's good for time to market. It has some benefits, but it, I, I completely understand that some people may not want to choose Firebase. Uh, but, and, and, and I think I, I wanted to turn that in a way to, to my advantage and say, Hey, you can actually build a Flutter client, still try to make some reasonable assumptions about how you want your data to come from the backend but not really be tied too much to it. Uh, and that means that. For me, I can make one course on Firebase and later on, if I want to do a separate backend, I can still do that with the foundations that I have on the client. And I think it's also for people to, it's also good for people to, to understand that to some extent you have control over this and you can swap things out or, or maybe swap things out. It's something that maybe doesn't even happen so much in practice, uh, because there's also this thing about vendor locking and that the hard part really is migrating the data, not, not so much changing the code base, but at least from an architecture point of view, I wanted to be able to, to show that, yeah, you can actually do it. Like you can build the Flutter client, you can define a contract for how you talk to the backend and you should be able to swap that out without a huge amount of effort on the Flutter client. Uh, and what are some ways that, that you can deal with that. And so, yeah. By design, it's kind of done in a way that you learn the Flutter part first, 
then you learn the Firebase backend part next. And then finally, you get into all the kind of CI and integration and infrastructure things. And for example, if you do want to run in production, one common thing that happens is eventually you will get bugs and, and crashes and, and errors in production. So how do you deal with that as well? And that's not something that I think it's covered much at the moment, uh, but it is very important, right? Yeah, that that's the kind of stuff that's important. Um... I mean, one of the things that stuck out to me about your course that I'm really excited to take a look at is how you do some, I think it's some caching of data. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that, that is an interesting one. Uh, and I probably should, I mean, I, I, there are so many things that I, I guess I, I wanted to explain in the landing page in terms of what I'm, I'm trying to do. But So then, now is the chance for you to explain, right? <laughs> you can be yeah, very detailed and, and on the I, podcast. Yeah, and, and it's hard to, to, I don't want to cram too much information on, on that. So yeah, I think that, that maybe needs a little clarification. So what, what I intended to do with that is, uh, and, and this is purely a requirement of, of the specific app that I created. So the idea there, the use case is that when you, if you see any e-commerce application, uh, website or whatever, you can normally go to the website, browse the products. Uh, you can even add things to your cart as a guest. Uh, before you even have an account, uh, because it's obviously a business requirement that like you want people to be able to see the catalog. You you want people to see everything that is available for sale before creating an account. And 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 then I thought about the technical side of it, and I thought, how would I actually implement that in practice, right? Because eventually you do want to sign in and you want to create an account and you want to link your credit card details, even if they are handled securely by an external service, you do need to have that account and you do need to do order fulfillment. So when, when the payment is received, then you need to be able to then, in, in this specific case, get a webhook from Stripe that tells you that the payment has succeeded and then run some code on the backend to um, fulfill the order, update some stuff in Firebase, and then the, flat, the Flutter client will then be able to say, ah, okay, the product now is purchased. This is your order confirmation. So. So yeah, I kind of needed to, to figure out how to do that. And, and the part about data syncing is that before you are logged in, I want the users to be able to still add items to the shopping cart. And then once they want to proceed to checkout, at that point, they are forced to create an account if they don't have one. And, and that turns out that it needs some careful consideration because it means that if they already had a login before, they're just using a different device. You want to be able to log them in, retrieve the contents of the shopping cart that was already there before. And since now they are a guest on, on this new device, you want to kind of merge that data, right? You want to say, actually, you want to think about what is the right thing to do. Uh, and so then you kind of need to talk a bit about what is the intention there. And once you clarify that, then you had to take the data that you are saving locally and you had to merge it with the data that is stored in Firebase uh, regarding your shopping cart. So what are some strategies for doing that? Uh, and so that that is kind of what I meant in terms of syncing the data, uh, because th the idea is you can always use these products on a variety of different devices. And depending on your authentication state, when you do authenticate, you need to kind of merge the data and, and kind of deal with that scenario. So it's not so much that I, I'm implementing a full blown out syncing solution uh, that you know, will always work offline and will always be able to keep all the data 
uh, kind of in cash locally on the client and 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 always do the right syncing stuff with the server. And and I guess data caching is is one of those things that is is one of the harder problems in computer science, isn't it? So um, I guess yeah, I'm, I'm not at least for the time being. I'm not planning to do a whole module on, on how you do syncing and and really make it something generic that can work in any case. I just wanted to show how it might work for a specific and, and well described use case and and how you approach that uh, because from an archite architecture point of view it's interesting as well you have like a an authentication repository you have a, a remote database and you have a, a local database so how do you get these three things to to how do you connect all the things together so that overall the feature that you want to implement ei shopping cart works as intended and so that is something that I thought would, was going to be an interesting use case to cover. Yeah, because to me, when I read it, I, it, I was thinking more like caching, where like if I make a request that gets cached, and if I make the same request again, it doesn't hit the server, read it locally. Or also figure out when you need to refresh that locally, right? Yeah, to be fair, I think I might even cover some of that. Once I get more into details on, on the second course with backend, that's something that I want to consider because Especially with things like Firebase, you know, people are always aware that there is a cost to read and write operations. And so, like, uh, at what point do you need to consider ways to potentially reduce the amount of reads and writes that you do with Firebase? And, and what techniques can you employ to do that? And you can get to a certain, I mean, you, you, you can get reasonably far with some of the offline persistence stuff and, and, and Firebase also gives you options when you do a read to specify if you want to read from client or from the server or, or, or server and then client. It has some caching options. Um, but for the, I guess if, if you really want a, a robust solution that, that will, it's like foolproof and, and, and I guess they, they designed it in a certain way, which might not be the use case that everybody needs. Um, and so in some scenarios, you, you actually do want to have like, like a proper data caching solution on the client that can sync properly to the backend. Uh, that's quite a complex thing, depending on, on what you're trying to do. Uh, so I, I probably still need to explore that a little bit more and see. I guess just just see how much of it uh, I'm able to cover w when I get to the second course. I just want to say we got a couple people watching live. I think you're also watching live on your side, right? We got Code Gambit. He said, "Let's go, Andrea. You're, I'm your number one fan." Mm -hmm. Mike Reitstrom, who joined us yesterday, also is uh, saying you have a great new course, so that's good. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's great to hear. I mean, honestly, it's it's always a great feeling when people, you know. After you put the work in and, and people come and they, they do appreciate it. I mean, I even ha had like an email the other day saying from someone who I think I gave them one of my older courses for free when, when they didn't have a job. And then they said, this time I have a job thanks to some of your material. And, and now I've been able to purchase the course. So it's like when, when but I guess when you can see people really advancing in their career and, and kind of at the end of the day that that's the goal like uh, that that's why i'm teaching i guess right like I, I want people to be able to to progress and 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 grow and and kind of become better developers so if that helps and the outcome is that they they do get a job when they didn't have one then that that is a very good outcome and so that 
makes like makes me very happy when, when I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. What I find is a lot of times it's very quiet, but when you mess up, they'll be there for you. <laughs> so like right. for one time I chose the wrong microphone and I recorded a podcast at one time. And uh, that was the one time I won't forget to ever choose the wrong microphone, right? Because the guy just came up to me, hey, man, that was the worst podcast I've ever listened to. You got, it sounded horrible. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like, what, it's what I call hygienics, what I heard from a previous boss, which is basically nobody ever congratulates you and gives you, you know, a high five for brushing your teeth. But mm. if your mouth smells because you didn't brush your teeth, people will definitely let you know. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I don't want to stop too, right? So this course is, is out. We have a pretty good idea about what that is. But you said you have two more courses coming out, right? Can you really give a nice introduction about what those courses are and when you're planning to actually start to release those? Yeah. So um, obviously some of these will be subject to change because I think the, the thing is that I realized with, with this doing it for a few years is I obviously try my best to, to, to get content out there, but I don't want to cut the corners. And so... I, I will get it out when, when I feel it's at, at a good level. With that said, uh, my intention would be for the next two courses to still be released this year. So probably like towards the end of the summer for, for the Firebase one and maybe towards the end of the year for, for the last one. And so the second course, uh, like I was saying, uh, by the end of the first course, people will have a working Flutter client for, for the e-commerce application. And then the second one takes that as a starting point and it goes into, yeah, how do you integrate this with Firebase? And I mean, the basics will always be, you know, how you add login and, and that stuff, but that's the easy stuff. And, and what is the interesting part is then you then get into looking at how you do data modeling with Firestore, how do you set up all the security roles? Uh, then you get into some code Maybe you run on the client, but some calls you run on the server. So in which cases should you write cloud functions? Uh, what is their purpose? What should they do? Uh, techniques for deciding, for example. So there are some interesting workflows there. Like sometimes you want to trigger a certain thing to happen uh, from the client by calling a cloud function. The cloud function takes care of doing a bunch of stuff with the database and talking to external services, then writes out something else uh, that is read only for the client. Uh, so kind of orchestrating all those different things, uh, it, it's quite an interesting part that I will cover in detail. Um, and obviously cloud functions are very, a very different environment comparing to, compared to just doing stuff in Flutter where you, you can just hot reload. So how can you speed up your development workflow when you write cloud functions? And so then there's things like, how do you work with the Firebase local emulator? And, and how do you set all that up so that it actually becomes a lot more frictionless to, to build the bug and, and run your cloud functions. Uh, there will be probably, I don't even remember all the things that are planned. Obviously, if, if it's a Flutter app, maybe you want to deploy it on web as well. So what considerations go around there? Sometimes like you, you need to show images uh, that come from maybe Firebase storage or, or like a, a third party service or some other endpoint that lives somewhere else. So then you have to deal with cores, uh, like like cross origin. I don't even remember now what the acronym stands for, but it's one of those things that you always find. Like when you when you try to put something on web and the images don't show, it's because you are trying to access images on a, on a different domain and, and you need to do all the right setup for that so that it works properly. 
So, so yeah, I need to cover that part. Uh, there's a lot of interesting considerations around Firebase. Um, and I mean, there's also a lot of new platforms coming out in terms of backend that, that I'm really, I, I, like my, I'm like really waiting to be able to, to do more with that, without myself. But for Firebase, I think it, it's such a prominent platform that, that many people are still using it and probably will do for quite a few years still. And, and, and I think it's improved a lot the, the way Firebase works with Flutter, with all the new Flutterfire kind of packages and all the, the open source work that, that, that is being done into that. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's a platform that will keep on living for quite a long while. And, and it's not for everyone, but for a lot of people, it's still a good solution. And then, yeah, once that part is done as well, um, yeah, like I said, I wanted to, to talk a bit more about Flutter in production. And, and in, in that case, it's about, you know, once you already have your automated tests, the easiest thing that you can do that gives you the best return on investment is you just run them on CI uh, when you push a, a new pull request. And, and then, so there's a lot of things about workflows that you can uh, kind of add to your, to your application and just run a variety of different tasks on CI. Uh, obviously you can do that with GitHub actions, code magic. There's a lot of services. Uh, probably this one will focus on GitHub actions because simply because I guess the, the workflows, you can just write as plain text files and, and it, it means less breaking changes. If the CI vendor then changes the UI, at least I can just teach how to write workflows. And I think it's a bit more portable as well. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to that, you can, I mean, you can have workflows for testing, for deployment. I mean, you can add beta tester deployment. You can have deployment to the app store. Uh, you, you can have a lot of things, uh, that are part of, you know, the various CI pipelines that, that support your project. Um, so that is also something that in some respects is, is also not that easy to always set up correctly. Like if, if anybody has been an iOS developer and, and struggled with like provisioning profiles and certificates and all of that stuff, they know that, that, that takes quite a bit of work to, to get it working properly, uh, on CI. And so, and another thing that I think is not covered a huge amount is if you have API keys that are supposed to be secret, like, how do you, how do you deal with all of that? Like, where should they be stored? How can you, for example, save API keys securely in Firebase? Uh, and then when you actually make the build from CI, how can you get access to those? So like all, all their stuff around app security and all that kind of stuff. Uh, how do you integrate that when you, when you build your CI workflows? So there's a lot of scope even there to, to cover a lot of interesting things. And, and once again, I, I guess the idea is if I'm if you want to build a production app, then you need to be able to figure all those things out and, and automate as much of it as possible with CI and, and probably even doing things like, you know, multiple flavors and environments so you can, you know, deploy to development stage in production. So all of that, I, I want to try to cover quite well. Yeah. 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 I think, um, I would love to, to take a course about the security part because that to me is not so clear. And also every platform has differences, right? Yeah. But I think overall, like, I think there's a, there's some kind of like keychain storage. I think that you're supposed to be able to, like, I think Apple says that they actually recommend you put username and password in there too, which I feel a little bit weird about, but they say it's like super safe. I don't know. That's what I heard from another Flutter dev. 
I get a little bit weirded out about storing people's passwords in something. Um, but I mean, there's there's all kinds of security concerns. Yeah, and then how do you pass like like you said the API keys? I guess it depends. Really yeah, yeah, I guess with the authentication stuff, I think a lot of it depends a lot to what authentication service you use. Because like if you are using Firebase or even Alt Zero or one of those services. It's not so much that you yourself worry about where to store them on the client. Uh, it's just that you use the authentic whatever authentication SDK is provided to you, and maybe those SDKs under the hood will use the corresponding secure storage on iOS. But you don't need to worry too much about that yourself. Um, but yeah, the API keys one is quite an interesting one because like it's it's. It's it's quite subtle as well. Like when when you think when you start thinking both about the front end and the back end and and building the project on CI, then you yeah you there's really quite a bit of thought that goes into API keys and what's the best way to store them and how and obviously you have different API keys for different environments. Uh, you want to be careful about sandbox and production and using the correct ones for each. Um, so, and that stuff, I mean, I found at the end of the day, it's not really that complicated, but I think it's not very well known either, like how, how, how you do it. And so I think it's, yeah, I just want to make it justice and try to cover it as well. But that's my point, right? I know this stuff's not very difficult. I know the solutions have been solved, but like nobody's really sticking it into your face. Mm. And the amount of like, uh, content for beginners is, is huge, right? I think you noticed too. Yeah. So you had to start kind of going higher level. And, but the problem is that people kind of drop off after a while. They're, okay, I know how to make a widget. I know how to do this. I know about caching. I can, I can, I'm good. I can learn the rest as I'm going along. And then, you know, it depends on you if you really want to go to the next level, right? Like people can go through their whole dev career and never write an automated test or a CI server. It's a bit like what, what you were saying at the beginning, right? Even yourself, you, you've probably been coding for like more than 10 years and all that. And, and to this day, even myself, there are things that sometimes I come across that I don't know how to solve. Like sometimes I don't know what, first of all, I don't know what's the way to solve a problem. And let alone, I don't know what the best way to solve it is. And so I guess I just try to think about what are the most important things that people had to know when it comes to doing things in production? And at least it doesn't mean I had to cover everything, but at least if, if you know those things, you, you can avoid shooting yourself on the foot <laughs> uh, or, or at least make your life a bit easier. Uh, and I guess, you know, well, I guess we are all learning. So, you know, it's, 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 it's always a learning process for everyone. Well, first of all, you and I both know that there's such a thing as the way to do something or the best way. It is kind of like, well, whatever you feel is kind of adequate or whatever, right? Because like, number one is always new ways. Number two, actually, sorry, the answer for both these questions is always, it depends. That's actually the right way I want to say is for everything is always, it depends. Even you said that a couple of times, it depends. <laughs> How do you teach that to people too? It's very difficult. It depends. Well, it depends on what? Uh, it's hard to explain, right? The other word that you said is adequate, and I like that word because, you know, depending on, on what you are trying to do, can you come up with an adequate solution? And maybe sometimes that is good enough. And as long as there aren't any glaring uh, issues with, with the solution that you come up with, then, then yeah, you just have to work out what is something reasonable. And, and I think what, what I was saying at the beginning as well is you just need to define the requirements that you want from your code and your project, and then decide what's good enough based on those. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, you are completely right. There is no right way of doing things. It's just like 
finding something that is suitable and, and works well for, for your requirements. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And adequate is, is I mean, uh, today, one of my employees, they were saying, should I fix this bug? Should I fix this error? And to be honest, the bug was not really a bug, like in terms of what I would consider a bug, because like, I think we were pulling an SVG from somewhere and you're getting an error because it had a style tag in it and the plugin flips out, but there's no like error on the screen. Everything's still functioning. I just said, no, don't, don't fix it because you know what? It's probably just that, that we have a bad SVG somewhere and it still renders, but you see an error coming up, but just forget about it. It's not yeah. a problem, right? Let's, it, unless the app blows up, then there's a problem. Leave yeah. it, right? I think those are all things that you kind of learn with experience, right? You, over years of experience, you, you get definitely a better feel for what things are important to to be fixed and what things you can leave out. And, you know, it, it's just practice and you just, I, I guess as long as, I guess as long as people can can learn to be pragmatic and, and reason about things and, and don't follow certain things as, as dogma, then it's probably all to their advantage, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think what you said is definitely true about the experience, right? Because you start to think about, you have different kinds of questions, right? It's like, well, what about this? And what about that? And then you start to also look for different things too, right? So like, sometimes I look at a design that a designer gives to me and I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't look right because what about this? What about that? Like you, you start to ask and think about things quite differently right i don't know i think you probably noticed that too about yourself like when you're a beginner sometimes maybe you, go, you may go to your client and you say well is this a string is this a integer but they don't know what that means right and now it's like well when you do this action what do you expect okay i'm not matching expectation let me let me let me fix that or you could say hey you know that's not going to work because xyz and you need to understand that like for instance asynchronous requests, right? Yeah. You have to wait for this thing to happen. So I always have to explain to my client, well, you know, what do you want a spinner? Do you want text to say loading? What do you want? What do you mean? I'm like, well, do you use your phone? Do you ever see these kind of things? Like, yeah, I, th I think it's for a lot of users. Some of these things are unconscious. Like you, there's this way of, I don't know if it's a way of saying, but you know, user experience, like when, when something is designed well and it works well, you will happily use it and not notice the faults in it. So, but you, you can't, if, if somebody asks you what, what is good about it, you don't quite know. You can, you will just tell them it just works. Right. Um, but to make it so that it just works, there are a lot of, there is a lot of attention to detail in terms of the UX and, and like, I guess sometimes people or clients don't don't think about that or don't realize that. But of course, as designers and developers, we do have to think about those things and we have to kind of raise it and at least, yeah, be able to solve it from the design and engineering point of view and, and be able to communicate it as well with the clients, which is sometimes a challenge. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's also another good point too, is sometimes I get like things and they don't quite match the design or like, for instance, profile picture. If you don't up, like I had recently, somebody gave me a, a design that has a profile picture, but I said, well, I need a, I need a default profile picture. And they never thought about that. I'm like, well, what do you, how do you not think about this kind of stuff? Like to me, that's just so clear because not everybody wants to upload a photo. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff that comes to my head. Yeah, for sure. Great. Um, so, uh, when do you think you'll be 
when do you think this course would be course complete? And uh, as the, I know right now, there's a 40% discount, right? If they yeah. come and sign up now. So will that be lowered every time that you release a module or how is it supposed to work? Yeah, so the, the pre-sale that I'm running at the moment uh, runs for two weeks. Um, so I have a 40% discount. Uh, after that, it will be 25%. And then, and then after that, we will basically, yeah, decrease based on on course completion. Uh, I'm hoping to have the content finished for the first course probably by the end of June. Um, and so, then by by that point, when the course is is complete, then basically it will be the full price. And then, and then after that, I'll start working on the remaining ones as well. Uh, but like I said, I. I I guess I, I am, I'm also getting feedback about the course itself. So yeah, hopefully within the next couple of months, I should be able to, to wrap that one up and, and move on to the next ones. So um, I think Mike Reitstrom actually said something pretty interesting yesterday. And is it true? So some people at home, maybe they're also interested in doing a course and creating their own kind of course. Um, I think he said that you specifically stated that actually recording the videos or like version upgrades were like the biggest pain for you. I think it was version upgrades because you had to like re-record the videos. Like what has been like the biggest pain about making your, your course? The biggest pain about making the course? I think like, oh, yeah, I think video is, is always a challenging one because it's not like software. Like if, if, if you need to update software and you know, you're breaking changes in your packages, you can, probably just follow the documentation at least like your your task is to follow the documentation work out what the breaking changes are and update your code and at the end of the day you just do a pr uh, and if it's updated you just merge it and just job done the problem in video content is once you have recorded it that old code is on screen and so depending on what changes and by how much it changes it can be a case of it's a minor update, so I can just add some notes or I can add just small snippets of video, uh, update the lessons like that. But some of the my worst experiences were like a couple of years ago, like the Firebase APIs kept changing quite substantially. Um, and so at some point I was just like, some of the content that I have, I don't know, maybe I'll just throw it out to the window. because like. If, if really stuff really changes dramatically, then it becomes really, I mean, another one was no safety, right? Like how do you deal with, with a course that was 20 hours recorded before no safety was a thing? Like, how do you deal with that? And, and some experienced developers will probably be able to still find their way around, but if the course is targeted at beginners and, and it's not no safety compliant, then it, it's a recipe for, for well, it's a recipe for a lot of customer complaints, <laughs> put it that way. Uh, but that's the the life of, of doing these things in tech, like stuff just changes all the time. And I think I, I've accepted that it's a part of life. I mean, when I do these courses now, like the first thing that I check is change log. Like I, I look if, if there is known to be a, a new version that is going to come out uh, like and i know that I need, I need to start recording i go on the latest latest possible version that exists even if it's even if it's in developer pre-release because at least i know that's more likely to be the api that is going to be stable for for a longer time uh but yeah i mean i, I just need to assess how many changes there are and whether i should just record a whole chunk of the course again or, or not and i think 
One thing that will bite me again sometime next year will be static metaprogramming in the Dart language. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know that some Dart features will be coming that potentially will change quite a lot the way we write Flutter apps. Um, but I mean, for me, it's part of life now. So I mean, and at the end of the day, I guess it's my business. So if I invest a lot in a course like I'm doing now, uh, it's always, I guess, once you've done it, it's it's still comparatively less work to to kind of update some parts rather than than doing it all over and and like like we said before part of my focus in into going more into like intermediate concepts and above is a lot of it is trying to explain concepts and and things like architecture and all of that more than specific apis uh and so i think maybe that will make it a little bit more resilient as well to those kind of problems uh, I, w I must ask you, do you let all of your frustrations out to Mike? No, no, really. I think I have, <laughs> let, uh, let, let's just say I do some form of exercise to let the frustrations out and I don't really take it on people. <laughs> no, so I don't I, mean take it out on him, but I think you open up to him a lot because he also revealed that you made a uh, complete mock backend for the COVID rest course. And it sounded like he thought that you... Also thought that was a pretty big pain. No, you're uh, smiling that, right now. No, the memories, the memories. Yeah, that was like two years ago or even 2019. Yeah, three years ago. So yeah, basically, I, I COVID came out. I, I had a, some time in my hands. I was like, okay, I'll just do a COVID tracker API. Well, no API, Flutter app. And then there were a few online at that time. They were kind of popping up. I chose one. And then they, so I recorded the entire course. And then one month later, they said they would do API version two, which was completely like non-compatible. And, and then the API version one had a deprecation notice of like two months or something like that, which meant that I was, I had two choices, either kind of update the course content to, to version two of the API, which was quite a bit of work or I thought, you know what, this is a fairly small API. So I'm just going to implement an entire backend myself that pulls the data from an existing API so that the client can then talk to my backend. And then if that API dies, I just update my backend code and, and pull, pull it from a different data source. And that meant that I only had to update a little bit of configuration stuff in the course, but only a couple of lessons. Uh, and basically it meant just pointing to a different URL, uh, and, and I designed my backend to match as closely as possible the API that was going to be deprecated just so that I didn't have to update all the course lessons, <laughs> like on the client side of things. Um, and that was actually quite a fun, I mean, frustrating in a way, also useful in some other ways, cause I started learning about cloud functions back then. So, I mean, there's always frustration and also learning experience to be, to be mixed together. And that's part of the life of a software developer, I think. Yeah, this is true. Um, it's always nice to go back to an old project and see that you have to update it. And if it's really been a couple of years, it's really gonna be painful. And speaking of like the null safety stuff, I remember when it got changed and the first thought that came to my head is, it's going to be a disaster for a few months, maybe six months, maybe one year. I don't know how quick the change is going to be. But I just think like, wow, it's going to be a disaster because all, like you said, all these new people coming into Flutter, they're going to see the courses out there. They're going to see the free YouTube videos and nothing's going to work and they're going to go completely insane. 
And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I mean, to be fair, that had to happen. Like you can't, I mean, you can't really box your future framework or language development into not breaking things for, for users. And uh, at the end of the day, it, it, it's just one of those things. It had to be done. And uh, I guess the difference about these days is that there is so much more content out compared to five years ago. And, and so there is, there are a lot more people relying on it to learn. And I guess that, that means that I, I suppose a better, a good skill to have is also to really understand what content is, is going to get you where you want to be and, and what content isn't because it's outdated and all that. So I, I guess that adds a bit of extra complication to people's lives and there are various arguments for and, 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 and against it. Like, I mean, people generally like to share what they learn and that's a way for others to learn but then it's obviously if you have to keep it maintained it's hard and and you i don't think youtube helps that in any way because there isn't really a way to re-upload a youtube video once you've done it like it and i i can see also the reasons for it uh but it just means that it's it's you, you, yeah, you had to make a new one, upload a new one. And, and obviously as a creator, it might affect your traffic. I mean, that is, it's a whole other kind of worms, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, complicated. <laughs> uh, I think Mike likes to see you in pain because he's asking a very good question, which I don't know if it's good or not to ask. He asks, uh, do you do or test your courses with Flutter master channel? because there's going to be a lot of new things uh, in the way in master. And he said mostly M3 related. I don't know if he means M3 the processor or what he means by M3. Uh, material three. Uh, yeah, uh, actually that, that's a very good reminder of that. Um, like, like for some of the time, yeah, sometimes I'm unstable, sometimes I'm on beta, depending on, on what I'm doing. Uh, I, I, I did read some things recently about in fact, some discussions between Mike and someone else uh, on, on GitHub, and, and I think that there were some very in-depth conversations about you know what Material Three is introducing and, and some of the APIs that potentially will be deprecated. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one. Um, I, I'm just making a mental note to to go back to it this week and check <laughs> Master to see what changes. Um, in a way, I guess the, the main thing around this course is, is not particularly focused on UI. So if, say, if Flutter version 2.12 or 13 comes out and they do have those deprecations and, and they change things, I guess for this course, probably it won't matter too much because I can just probably update the source code. And because I'm not spending a huge amount of time on the UI anyway, then it will probably be all right. Like most of the course content is on like the other layers, like business logic models, data repositories, all of that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's always a concern. Like you, yeah, always good to keep an eye out on what's coming and what's changing. Yeah, I just became aware of the M3 acronym today. So this also includes the material me, right? Or is that something, or is that something before M3? Uh, okay, I think now this is even out of my, knowledge 
zone. Yeah, I, I heard about material free, but not material me. <laughs> Maybe it's the light version. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's material material you, I think. Maybe right. I got the name wrong. Right, 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 right. Yeah. The one that adapts to your, your background image. Right, okay. Yeah, I think that there's been a lot of I mean to to be honest, I haven't really spent a lot of my focus on, on UI stuff recently. I guess partially because my personal interest is more around some of the other things that I'm covering. Um and and so I haven't looked a huge amount of detail into that. And and, and in fact, if I even can make a shout out, like Mike really is the person that people should follow when it comes to, you know, all the new UI material three stuff, all I mean, he's done some really amazing work with some of his packages and um you know, he, he definitely is one of the experts when it comes to Flutter theming and, and, and UI and all of that stuff. So I can probably recommend people just to, to check out this stuff in that respect because he's, he's, he's definitely ahead of me. Oh, don't worry. Mike will be coming on the podcast. I'm, I'm making sure that I asked one of his friends to go bug him for me. <laughs> um, and yeah. I think he confirmed through him that he's going to come on, but I'll, I'll find a way to get him on the show. Yeah. Um, but it looks like Mike just confirmed that Material U was what their earlier name was called, and the official name is right. now called Material 3, which okay. I didn't know there was a Material 2 and 1. I just thought it's called Material UI, and that was it. Mm -hmm. So I'm yep. learning something new every day. Keeps us busy. Yeah, too busy. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm looking forward to your, your courses coming out. I'm looking forward to actually getting through this one. I'm looking forward to all these things. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that you're you know, spending time on this, and you're really devoting to it. And it's paying off for both you and the community. I can feel that already uh, because so many people are getting value from it. I mean, we've had a steady, a steady stream of people watching this live stream. And I think that alone has uh, you know, shown that the value that you have at this time. So thank you so much for coming on. And thank again so much for you for contributing to the community with your courses and your knowledge. And I'm looking forward to your further courses and seeing what, what else you're going to put out. Thank you very much for, for having me. I think it, it's, yeah, just, just being great to be here and, and do this. And especially because like most of the time I'm, I'm literally working on my own office, doing all of this asynchronously. So it's actually good to get a chance to catch up live with people. And so, yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I hope whichever way people have discovered me, like if, if, if they like my articles and Twitter or whatever, I'm, I'm just very thankful for, for all the support because it it there is a lot of work that goes into it and so i do really appreciate all the support and and the fact that it is well received in the community well you have a lot of fans even mike is your fan it seems like so you must be doing something right hopefully yeah <laughs> okay thanks again all right thanks everyone